Thank you, Ben. And what a, what a sweet thing it is to have friends like that. And some people have capacities for friendship, and others, others don't. And so it's nice to be befriended by somebody who has deep capacities for the kinds of affections that ought to be awakened when you're a friend. Well, let me ask God one more time to help me and, and you that this would be really profitable for his glory and for your good. Father, I pray that my mouth would be full of truth, that I would be faithful to the scriptures, both in saying what's there and in saying it in a way that would be appropriate to its value. And I pray that the balance of Scripture would be also captured so that nothing is out of proportion. And I pray that the power of it would be felt and that students would know themselves loved by God in a way that would not be resented if the love for them is for your glory. I pray that your value would be our supreme treasure and that the way we fit into your purposes would be according to your will and not our dream, but that our dreams would be conformed to your highest purposes. So do these deep things now in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the question I'm posing for you is, and it's fresh, it's old for me and the way I'm thinking about it in the last uh, 48 hours or so is is fresh. So this, this message emerged on the airplane flying to Seattle a few days ago. The question I'm posing is, why does God perform all his acts of love for us in a way that reveals that he is loving us for his glory. Why is God so jealous to reveal his love for us that way? Let me ask it another way. Why does God make much of us in a way that is designed to make much of him ultimately? And one of the reasons that I ask this question is because there are people and I I love some of them very dearly and, and know some of them closely. There are, are many people um, who feel not loved when they are told that God's love for them is for his sake. It just ruins it. You were telling me he loved me, and then you ruined it. Or... His making much of me uh, isn't making much of me if it's a design to make much of him. So this is not hypothetical for me. This is not a small thing. This is a personal thing. This is a, a, a church thing, a family thing. And I want you very much to feel loved by God. Clearly, the Bible is designed to that end. But the Bible doesn't do it the way ordinary humans would like to have it done. So I think the first thing I should do is walk with you through the Bible in maybe seven historic acts of love. 
the greatest acts of love for you that were ever performed and notice the angle that God puts on this as he reveals his love to us. So let's take them in, in kind of a chronological order from eternity to eternity. And I'll give you a Bible verse for each of these acts of love. And you can just listen or you could glance at your Bible with me, depending on how quick you are. Let's start with predestination, which would be Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. And it goes like this. God predestined us to adoption. Now, that is an extraordinary act of love. To be adopted into God's divine family doesn't get any better. Okay? Here you are, a foundling, weltering in your blood, like it says in Ezekiel, and, and God picks you up, washes you off, and doesn't just forgive you and send you on your way. He said, no, I think I'll keep you. And now you're in my family. So he predestined us unto adoption through Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good pleasure, unto, here it is, here's what ruins it, unto the praise of the glory of his grace. God is predestining me unto adoption so that I will praise the glory of his grace. I just know there are people who, when they hear that, don't like it. No matter how good I try to describe the preciousness of being adopted, doesn't cut it because he just ruined it. He did it for his, the praise of his glory. Number two, creation. So first, predestination, now creation. Let's go to Isaiah 43, 6. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory. So you have been created, which I think is a great act of love. I, I, I think to exist is a wonderful thing. And God didn't have to create you, and he did, and he recreated you, if you're born of God. And this text says he created you for his glory. That is, he created you to make himself look really good. We, we are to glorify God the way telescopes glorify or magnify, not the way microscopes magnify, Right? A microscope magnifies by making a little thing look bigger than it is, and a telescope magnifies by making something that's really big but looks little look as big as it really is. God does look little to the world. And our job is to be the telescope for their eyes and say, no, no, that little dot in your night sky is a galaxy. That's what my life is for. It's your, I hope your life is for that. And I hope, I hope that's okay. I, ho I hope when God says, I made you for that, you don't say, well, I just wish you had made me for me. I don't like being made for you to make you look good. I, I hope you're not there. And I hope if you are there, you, you will move with me through these 30 minutes. Number three, 
incarnation. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts doing what? Praising God and saying what? Tell me. That's so disappointing. I mean, he's come into the world. He's on a mission for me. He's coming to save me. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm hell bound. I'm, I need a savior. No human being that I know of can die in my place. There has to be a God man to do this for me. And the angels watch it happening and they say, yes, glory to God. That's what this is about. Does that ruin it for you? I thought you were after me. Number four. So we have predestination, creation, incarnation. Now let's go right to the center of love, the cross. Call it salvation if you want it to rhyme. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14. One died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all. Now, here comes the purpose. So that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who for their sakes died and was raised. And you want to maybe step back and say, well, for whose sake did you do it? Who'd you die for, you or me? Died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him, and I'm sure that does not mean to help him run the universe or to meet some need that he has. When it says that they might live for him, it means for his glory, for his namesake, for his fame. Like Romans 1, 1 5, which we're going to turn to next. So here we have Jesus dying for us, for him. Next, um, no, Romans 5, 1, 5, I'll save, have one more in between. Sanctification. So now we've been bought, forgiven, justified, stand right before God, and he goes about the business of making us practically, experientially holy and righteous. And Paul prays for that in Philippians 1.9. And here's the way he prays. Now, you remember, when you're praying, you're talking to God. 
And therefore, when you ask God to do something for a purpose, then it's his purpose. And that's what happens in these verses. Philippians 1.9. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that, I'm going to skip down to verse 11 now, so that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, God, I'm asking you to move on the Philippians and work in the Philippians and add discernment and knowledge to their love to the end that they would be filled up with the kind of fruits of righteousness that make you look really good. That's what I'm asking you to do. Sanctify them for your glory. Filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I'm asking you to sanctify them in a way that results in your praise. Sanctify them in a way that results in your gloriousness being seen and loved and pursued and treasured. Go get them not only in forgiveness, but go get them in holiness to the end that their real lives would make you look great, like Jesus says. Let your light so shine before men that maybe see, they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. So if God's at work on you to give you any measure of holiness, Paul says, he's doing it for his name's sake. And I'll tell you, the work of God in sanctification is a great act of love toward us. And so he's loving us for his glory. And there are folks... When I say this, they just say, I wish you just wouldn't talk that way. I wish you wouldn't preach like that. It makes me not feel loved. It makes me feel used. Propagation. I am making them all rhyme. Predestination, creation, incarnation, salvation, sanctification, and now the spread of all this in the world is a great act of love. Call it propagation, just to fit it in the scheme. And here I have Romans 1.5 in mind. It goes like this. We received grace and apostleship. So here's Paul documenting. He never got over this, this act of love toward him. He never got over it. He was killing Christians. He was throwing them in jail. He was blaspheming the name of Jesus Christ by denying his Messiahship. And on the Damascus road, Jesus not only saves him, but makes him his chosen vessel and apostle. He just never got over it. The least of all the saints, the least of all the apostles, lately born. I, I just, he, to the end of his life, he couldn't fathom being loved like this. And he wrote in Romans 1, 5, we received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. 
God made me his vessel for the sake of the spreading of the fame of his name. His name. I was taken captive for his fame. I was brought into this for his reputation in Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, China, Northern India. If he's not known, I'm going. That's why I exist. His name is to be lifted up. I'm on the planet. I was saved. I was blinded. I suffer for that. Paul didn't, that didn't feel like a contradiction of Galatians 2.20. When I was a sophomore in college, I got mono in the hospital. And I just remember one moment. Um, Chaplain Evan Welch from Wheaton came into my room and checked me out. And then as he was leaving, he turned and he said, Johnny, you got a life verse? I didn't have a life verse. So I gave him the one that I had been most recently thinking about. I said, well, what's special to me is I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Paul wrote that. Paul didn't just feel kind of a vague, general sense that God loves the world. Paul said, I live for the Christ who loves me and gave himself for me. That, that wasn't contradicted when he said, he made me his apostle for the sake of his name. I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm sanctified, and now I'm sent for the sake of his name. I don't think emotionally there was any tension for Paul there at all. And I want to know why. Because I want to help these people get, not feel this way. Lastly, in our little tour through the Bible, consummation. And here I'm going to Second Thessalonians 1, 9, to read about the second coming. I believe the second coming will be the consummation of God's love for us, Christ's love for us. It will be terror for those who've rejected that love, but for us it will be spectacularly completing. I frankly would like it to happen very soon. There are so many troubles in my life, in my church, in this world, in Chile, in Haiti, cancer. I just Let's just wrap it up. Just finish it and come, Lord Jesus. I hope even though you're young and have a whole life in front of you, I hope you feel that way. Hard, harder for young people to feel that way, maybe. But I get married first. Fight that one through and say, if you come, it'd be okay. It'd be okay. It'd be better, way better. So here's the text. This is 2 Thessalonians 1.9. These will pay the penalty, talking about unbelievers, of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints. 
on that day and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. So why is he coming? Two things. To be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. The consummating act of the love of Christ for us is come to be marveled at. Here I am. Go at it. Marvel. 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 I'm here. That is the consummation of his love for you. Do you remember what Jesus said in his prayer for you in John 17? It's, it's, it's an absolutely counterintuitive prayer. The first, first five verses are just off the charts, Christ exalting by Christ. Christ exalting himself and God the Father. And then he gets to the consummation of his prayer in verse 24. And he says, Father, I pray for those whom you've given me that they may be with me where I am to see my glory. You see, I thought you were praying for me. And now you're praying about how glorious you are and how you're going to present yourself to be marveled at and glorified at your showing up. I just hope so much you don't think that way. But I talk like this because I know people who think that way. So there they are, seven great acts of love all of them revealed in such a way that we now know God loves us for the glory of God. We are not the ultimate goal. God is. And we are drawn into that instead of sent to hell for our rebellion and made members of his family. So, let me, let me pose the question the second way. The first way I posed the question was, why does the Bible reveal the love of God for us this way? And my second question was, why does he make much of us in such a way that it winds up ultimately making much of him? So let me, I was speaking to a woman in my church two weeks ago or so who cautioned me about a question I was asking a lot, a lot in my speaking. Here was the question. I said, do you feel more loved by God because he makes much of you or because he frees you to enjoy making much of him forever? And I think that's a very important question to ask. But she said to me, John, when you ask that question, it sounds like you're minimizing the preciousness and the importance of being made much of by God. Like you may not even believe in it. So at this point in my message, I am going to now declare loud and clear, I believe in it. I not only believe in it, I love it. And here's what I mean by it. God makes much of you, believer. For example, C.S. Lewis, greatest sermon 
according to Alan Jacobs, was, and I think he's probably right, The Weight of Glory. So there's a little book called The Weight of Glory. First sermon in the book is called The Weight of Glory. And you know what The Weight of Glory is? The Weight of Glory is hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lewis said that moment will be so spectacularly weighty that the God of the universe will look upon a hell-deserving saved sinner and commend his work. It will be such a weight of glory, we will hardly be able to bear it. It will be so wonderful. God makes much of us. He adopts us into his family. He calls us fellow heirs with Christ, which means you inherit what? Everything. (laughs) Do you remember these silly saints in Corinth who were saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Paul. I'm of Paul. I'm of Paulus. I'm of Cephas. And Paul says, what? This is chapter 3, verse 21. What? He says, don't you know all things are yours? Whether Paul or Cephas or Apollos or life or death or the world, all things are yours. What are you strutting around saying, I got Paul? You've got everything. Don't you know who you are? That's a pretty good argument. Against pride. Isn't that crazy? I mean, whoa, he's arguing against, I'm of Paul. I'm a Paul groupie. And he says, what? You're going to get the world. In another place, he says, you're going to judge angels. You ready for that? Going to sit at a bench and angels will be brought before you. And you you judge them. You will judge them. Here's a mind-boggling one. Revelation 3.21 says, Jesus speaking to the church, you, if you conquer, will sit with me on my throne as I sat with the Father on his throne. That's almost blasphemy. It's like deification. Like you're going to be God. I don't think that's what it is. It just feels pretty close. I think it probably means you're going to rule the world with me. I'm not ruling this world without you. There will be the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 1.23. These are breathtaking descriptions of who you are. And what God is doing in making much of you. You are of more value than many sparrows. I rejoice over you with gladness. Zephaniah 3.17. So 
my response to that observation is no, 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 no. I do not minimize, I do not deny the magnificent reality that God makes much of us. I just say he makes much of us in a way that is designed to make much of him. And for some people, that just wrecks it. Here you were making much of me, and now I realize that what you were doing all along is making much of you. So my question is, why does God reveal it this way? And here's my answer. Number one, there are two answers. Number one, in revealing it this way, in revealing his love for you this way and his making much of you this way, he rescues you from the God-belittling idolatry of putting your joy finally in being made much of. Finally. Finally. In other words, what's the, ask yourself, what's the bottom? It's another, just change the spatial imagery here from finally to bottom. What's the bottom, the, the deepest place where I'm standing to be happy? What makes me happy at the bottom? You trace it all back. This makes me happy because this makes me happy because this makes me happy. And at the end, what is it? You or God? That's the issue. Is it that you are being made much of? Is that the bottom? Is that the place you stand? Is that where your emotions rest? Or, or do you go one step deeper and say, God is doing it for God. And I'm so glad he is. I'm glad he is. I'm just tolerant that he does. I, want, I believe God is rescuing you. I'm here to rescue you with this Bible talk from that idolatry. Are you uh, making much of him finally, finally, because he makes much of you? That's idolatry, I believe, of the worst kind. Or are, are we glad to have God as our treasure precisely because he has me as his treasure? So that really what I treasure most is me. And God is useful to affirm and confirm my highest value, me. There are are many religious people that use God that way. And I would like to deliver you from that. That's idolatry. It's destructive. Now, let me say it positively. I said there are two answers. That's my first answer of why the Bible reveals God's love for you this way and God's making much of you this way. Now, here's the, the more positive way of putting it. By revealing his love for us this way, God brings our joy out of self and into the infinite greatness of God and therefore brings us to full and lasting pleasure. He brings us out of ourselves as the place where our joy is reposing into the greatness of himself where our joy now reposes, because in his 
presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, and he loves you enough to pull you out of self-admiration into God-admiration where it can be full and lasting. Now, to confirm that and help you feel it, let me, let me um, point something out. Suppose the doctrine of glorification happens to you. Romans 8.30. Those whom he justified, he glorified. What does that mean? It means that there's coming a day, second coming in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, where this mortality will put on immortality, and this flesh will put on a, a new spiritual body, and it will all be shining like the sun in the kingdom of our Father, according to Matthew 13. You all, believers, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your Father. Can you look at the sun? You cannot look at the sun. Therefore, we won't even be able to look at each other unless we're given new eyes. And we will be given new eyes. That's why we have a new spiritual body. Because the glory that each of us will have and radiate will be so magnificent, we won't be able to look at each other unless the other person has a transformed body that's equipped to handle the glory of the new age. And what a sad place it would be if everybody had to have their backs to each other. So we're going to be shining like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. We're going to be given new eyes, and we will be looking at each other in stunned awe at what God has made of us in the age to come. That's the doctrine of glorification. Now, suppose God puts a mirror in front of you, which I think he might do. I'm inclined to think all mirrors are going to be done away with in the age to come, but... But let's just suppose that he, he, he does. There it is. It's a very big mirror. It's made out of some special, you know, kryptonite to <laughs> keep it from shattering at your, at your glory. And, and you behold yourself. And, and I promise you, you'll like what you see. You will, it, because you'll be impressive. <laughs> but now, if what I'm, what I'm simply pointing out here is no matter how glorious he makes you, what you see in that mirror won't satisfy your heart. You were made for God. You were made with a capacity for admiration bigger than that. And I'm arguing the Bible reveals it all this way to help you get to the place of fullest enjoyment, not second-rate, magnificent enjoyment. So, conclusion. The love of God that makes much of us for his glory is a greater love than a love that would only make much of us. It's a greater love. Or to put it one other way, you are precious to him. And the greatest gift he has for you is not to let your preciousness to him become your God. But rather, have him as your God. Let's pray. In fact, why don't you stand?
I'll pray and I'll pronounce the benediction. Father in heaven, I don't know whether I've, I've hit on something that feels at all relevant to these students, but if there's a few who have stumbled, they've wanted to feel embraced, they've wanted to feel warmly accepted, forgiven, affirmed, made much of. And I hope, I pray, I ask right now that they will feel that. They will feel that. That I, as a 64-year-old father figure, am right now trying to get my arms around them and say, I want to embody that for you. God is like that. And then I, I pray, Lord, that we won't make that sensation our God. But rather... It will enlarge, not contradict, but enlarge that sweetness with the awesome experience of living for your glory, of making you the end of everything. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you for having me. You're dismissed.